because the scribes and Pharisees were clean freaks. They were phobic or whatever that is when somebody always has to cleanse themselves or whatever. It's not because there was a breakout of disease and you had to take these steps to ensure that you don't contaminate yourself. They asked the question because in their religion, in their tradition, it had become a religious practice, if you would. If you were going to be a good Jew, you would naturally wash your hands before you eat. And that's just right up there with going to Sabbath and honoring your father and mother and not stealing and killing. And Commandment 10a will surely wash your hands. And of course, the reply of Jesus is profound. He says it's not what goes into a person that defiles them. Rather, it is what comes out of the mouth. It's not to say that you're free to eat what you want. Next time we have a dinner or luncheon here at the church, please wash your hands, all right? And leave me some of that eclair cake next time, all right? Just, just, oh wait, that's not in there. <laughs> no, wash your hands, yes. Think about the fact that the Bible teaches that gluttony is a sin. Because it is. Realize the fact that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and it matters what we put into our body. But the point is what Jesus says in Matthew 15 and verse 19. He says, out of the heart, out of the heart, come evil thoughts, come murder, Adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. In other words, it is the heart. It is the heart, not our external actions that we do that ultimately matter. You can do the right action. In this case, eating food the proper way with clean hands. And yet you can still miss the mark with God. That's why we're told in Proverbs 27 verse 19 here, our text this morning, it says, as in water, face reflects face. So the heart of man reflects the man. You can go to the lake, you can go to the stream and, and look down. And what do you see? You see you. So it is when we look at your life, we realize that what we see in your life is a reflection of what is inside of your heart. Of course, we know that in our physical bodies, we have an organ that is called the heart. We know a lot of times we speak of the heart as a center of a thing. If you would, I come from the heartland of the country. 
And there's a place in Kansas that I think is, is actually the exact center of the continental United States. And that's their only claim to fame. Trust me, there's nothing out there otherwise. We also know that, again, the heart is this organ. It's the center. It's the middle. The center point of something. But we also know that the biblical meaning of the heart is not just this physical organ, although at times it does refer to the organ. But the Hebrews thought of the heart as so much more. One commentator wrote this way, he said, the Hebrews thought of the whole human being and personality with all of its physical, intellectual, and psychological attributes when they use heart. It was considered the governing center for all of these. It is the heart, the core which makes and identifies the person. Character, personality, will, and mind are modern terms which all reflect something of the meaning of heart. It's biblical usage. And so we see the heart again as the real you, the center you, the, the part that makes up the, the essence of who you are. More than just saying you're Caucasian or African-American or dark-skinned, more than just saying you're male or female, more than just saying you're a certain age. The heart is the true you. If this is the case, that the heart is the real you, the center you, then it is vital that we understand and consider what the Scriptures, especially here in the book of Proverbs, say, say about our heart. So I give three considerations for you today. The first one. First one is this. We need to understand the true nature. True nature of our heart. You know, someone may come and do something. Something that you needed done. and You look at them and say, let me compensate you for whatever. He said, no, don't worry about it. It's not a problem. And you tell somebody else about this, a lot of times you will say to them, you know, that was a really good-hearted person. We say this a lot of times when we're there at the funeral home. We're speaking of somebody who's passed on, and we say, that person had a really good heart about them. Man, I just, I really appreciated them. They're, they were such a kind-hearted individual. Such a good heart about them. Which is fine to say, and I understand the sentiment, except the Bible does not show that. The Bible teaches something different, and that is this, if a person is not a Christian, if a person is not a born again, then guess what? That person does not have a good heart. Don't worry when it's your funeral or your loved one and you call me to officiate. I'm not going to up and talk about how evil your heart was. But, but this, is, this is just what the Scripture teaches us. The prophet Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things. It is desperately sick. Who can understand? Maybe your Bible says it is desperately wicked. 
We don't like these sentiments. We don't like these words. But it is just the truth of what Scripture teaches. The heart is sick, deceitful, wicked. And as much as it is that someone may touch us by their generosity, as much as we don't want to pile on the deceased and pile on the dead, whatever the reason, we... We, we try to express the sentiment that they're a good-hearted individual, but the fact is, when we say this, we are obfuscating the truth. Is that we are born wicked. We are born with a sick and a depraved and sinful heart. This is what we call total depravity. Charles Hodge was a theologian of hundred some years ago, he has a good explanation of this when he says, this, this universal depravity of man is no slight evil. The whole human race by their apostasy from God are totally depraved. By total depravity is not meant that all men are equally wicked. Nor that any man is as thoroughly corrupt as it is possible for a man to be. Or that men are destitute of all moral virtues. goes on, he says, the Scriptures recognize the fact which experience abundantly confirms that men to a greater or less degree are honest in dealings. They're kind in their feelings. They're beneficent in their conduct. Even the heathen, the Apostle Paul teaches us, do by nature the things of the law. And more or less under the dominion of conscience, which approves or disapproves of moral conduct. All of this is perfectly consistent with the scriptural doctrine of total depravity, which includes the entire absence of holiness. The one of due apprehensions of the divine perfections and of our relation to God as our creator, preserver, benefactor, governor, and redeemer. There is common to all men a a total alienation of the soul from God so that no unrenewed man either understands or seeks after God. No such man ever makes God his portion or God's glory the end of his being. Apostasy from God is total and complete. All men worship and serve the creature rather than and more than the Creator. They are all therefore declared in Scripture to be spiritually dead. They are destitute of any principle of spiritual life. What is he saying there? He's saying, of course, it's true, it's real. Not all of us are utterly wicked human beings. It's why we're not on death row this morning. Not all of us give in to all of the baser nature of our depravity, but the truth of the matter is outside of Christ, every human being has. Wicked heart doesn't mean they can't buy your coffee at Dunkin'. Doesn't mean they can't give you the front parking spot at Giant or do a nice deed for you, but without God, our hearts, our true nature of our hearts, desperately wicked. Proverbs 15, verse 10, there is severe. Severe discipline for him who forsakes the way, 
Whoever hates reproof will die. Sheol and abad and lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of the children of men. Again, you've got me fooled. I, I think you're a kind-hearted person. But the God who can see the very depths of hell sees what is in the recesses of your hearts. I mean, you wore a tie this morning. You wore a nice dress. You, you, you wore whatever it is. You, you got yourself in the shower. You're teaching Sunday school. You're, you're leading worship. You're doing all these things. We all think you're wonderful. But God knows and sees the depths of your heart. God sees the hearts of every children of man and, and we cannot deny or cover over this reality. Proverbs 10 verse 20, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. Heart of the wicked is a little word. Proverbs 14 verse 10, the heart knows its own bitterness and no stranger shares its joy. Proverbs 16 verse 5, everyone is arrogant in hearts. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. A man's folly brings his way to ruin. His heart rages against the Lord. Do you hear? Hear the common phrase there of a heart that is wicked, a heart that is sinful, a heart that rages against God, a heart that God sees as an abominable thing. We sing that song every once in a while, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Based on the 51st Psalm, David confessing his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. And in this psalm, he states these words. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Very youngest of age, David realized his heart was wicked before God. And here in a couple of weeks when we go on vacation, we're going to be there with my brother and his family. And he, about a year ago, became a grandfather and the baby is going to be there. And My sons were teasing Mary about how she's going to grab the baby and hold him. And she's going to be watching him the whole time. And and it's true, it's wonderful, and I'm sure he's a cute little kid. Hopefully he doesn't look too much like my brother, but if he does, maybe God will love him anyways, I don't know. Hopefully he won't hear this. <laughs> as cute as that baby it is, as cute as what Bill Gaither said, how sweet it is to hold that newborn baby and to feel that the, the truth and the reality is that all of these children, that this little child is sweet and innocent as he is. He has a wicked heart that God must convert. So that brings me to my second point. The heart is by nature wicked. Secondly, we need God. We need God to regenerate our hearts. Yes, my heart is wicked. What am I to do about it? What shall I do? Here's what a lot of people do. They go out and they try to fix it. They go out and they try to improve it. 
You want to make a billion dollars in your life? Write a self-help book. Write a self-improvement book. Write some kind of book that, that speaks about how you can do this. I was surprised and I think it was in or wherever, some other airport I was in, in a foreign country. And, and there, there in a bookstore, there's all of these business and self-help books written from American authors. And I thought, wow, that's really must be nice. I think I'm in the wrong line of work here. Make a lot more money writing some kind of fancy book. We, we want to fix things. David decides he's going to cleanse his heart after he has impregnated Bathsheba. So what does he do? He, he invites her husband home and he says, Uriah, come, let's have a big party, let's have a feast. And, and here's a glass or a bottle or three or four or five of wine. Now the Uriah is nice and intoxicated. He sends him home and says, go and sleep with your wife. Enjoy. Enjoy your wife. You've got a day off from the battle. Of course, we know the story. Uriah staggers out of the palace, throws his sleeping bag right outside the gate and says, there's no way I can go home. Enjoy being with my wife and my fellow comrades are out on the battlefield. And even after Uriah rejects this invitation, and David realizes that he cannot hide. David says these words again in Psalm 51, verse 16. You won't delight in sacrifice. I give it to you. You're not going to be pleased with the burnt offering. If I, if I could, I'm the king. I'll give you thousands of them. Give you all the cows and rams and sheep goats you want. It's modernized that because most of us probably don't have farms. We don't have a cow in our farm at home. But we try, don't we? We try to blame others for our sin. It's my spouse. It's my children. It's my employer. It's my church. It's my whatever. Or we try the other way. I'll give more. I'll do more. I'll try extra hard. I'll get up and I'll read my Bible ten chapters tomorrow. The writer of Proverbs, however, asks this question. Proverbs 20, verse 9, Who can say I have made my heart pure and clean from my sin? Can you say that? Can you stand here this morning and say, I, in my own effort, have made my heart pure? The answer to that question is obviously no. You can't. There's no one who can say, I have made my heart. There's no one who can cleanse themselves. Thank you again for whatever you gave this morning. We're not giving you a refund. Your gift will never get you right before God. Thank you for teaching, singing, making coffee, doing whatever you've done. It's not making your heart right before God. But I'm glad that in all of this bad news, there is good news, isn't there? You see, this is the good news of the Gospel. What we cannot do, Christ has done for us. What we are unable to, on our own, Christ has done. 
Christ through his death and resurrection has made our hearts clean. He has made our hearts pure. He has come and given us a new heart. The prophet Jeremiah again says, I have made a new covenant. A new covenant, Jeremiah 31 verse 33, this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Take my law. I will take my heart and I will put it within you. Ezekiel, the prophet says the same thing. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from you. And I will give you a heart a flesh. This is the good news. This is the hope we have. This is the assurance that we have. What I cannot do in my own efforts, God, through His wonderful grace, Jesus Christ, through His atoning death, has made my heart clean and new. David, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me and eyes shall be whiter than snow. The prophet Isaiah says, Come and let us reason together. Though your hearts may be as dark as wool, they shall be like snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be whiter, whiter than snow. You might remember in 2022, the news of a man, Marilyn, who received the pig heart transplant. He lived for less than two months. Come to find out that either the sickness was so severe or the truth was we're not ready quite medically to be transporting or ever replacing hearts with organs that are not humans. A lot of people receive human heart transplants and it seems like the overall survival rate is much better. Reading this article says after one year it's 90% survival and after five years it's 80% survival. We can debate the ethics of putting in a pig heart in a human being. We're thankful when you answer that question on your driver's license and you say, you will donate your organ to help someone else. But understand, neither of these options will take away your sin. The old hymn says there's nothing that could wash away our sins, nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. And I ask you a very simple question. Has Christ regenerated your heart? Have you trusted Christ to come into your heart and to forgive you of your sins and to make your heart clean and new? Can you stand here this morning and say, God has regenerated my heart through the blood of His Son who was poured out in my place? I'm not asking you again how much you gave. I'm not asking you whether or not you've been here 
and you have perfect attendance record. I'm not asking you what good things you have done throughout the year. I'm asking you a very simple question. Can you stand here and say the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has cleansed my heart and made me new? If not, I tell you today that He stands ready to forgive. He stands ready to cleanse you. There is no one. Your cardiologist may have told you that your heart is going to give out any moment. You're just living moment by moment. I want you to know God right now through His grace and His mercy, He can give you a new heart. If you will open your life to Him, if you will accept His free gift right where you are, you can walk away this morning. And if your heart gives out tonight, you can stand in the presence of God saying thank you for that new heart that you have given to me. To understand the true nature of our hearts, we realize the need for God to regenerate our hearts. And finally, Finally, as believers, we need we need to guard our hearts. We need to guard our hearts. What would it be like for me to give you a fancy diamond ring? Give you a new car. Give you whatever is valuable that costs so dearly and so much. What would it be if I gave it to you and you were to take that gift and simply treat it like it's unimportant? Simply treat it like it doesn't matter. Take that fancy car and run it in some kind of demolition derby or whatever you might do. None of us would love it. Someone we pour time and effort and money into and purchasing such a gift would treat it in such a way. That's why my third point here is based on these words in Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart. Keep your heart. Guard your heart, if you would, with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. You have to keep your heart again because the heart is where the life comes from. It's where everything that you do in life ultimately comes from. It's not what goes into the body. Goes into the body is, is going to come out. It's going to be converted into energy and whatever the body does with it. And eventually it's going to come out in the waste. what comes out of our heart that really matters. We, even as believers, are prone to the influences of the world, prone to the devil, prone to the flesh, to our own sinful natures, and all of that tend to corrupt and corrode and harden our hearts. That's why Proverbs said these words, keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. 
His commands, these words that He's teaching, they're not to be merely heard on a Sunday morning. They're not to be memorized on a test and promptly forgotten. They are to be ingrained into our heart and life. They are to be meditated on and pressed upon until they become the fabric of our being. One commentator said the teaching should be internal, part of the Son's character and personality rather than an external requirement. Nether says it has shown once more that the best advice is useless against strong temptation until it is thoroughly taken to heart and translated into habits. You see, the Word of God, the teaching, the Scriptures need to become such a priority in our lives. Such a part of our internal being and system. That it is what flows out of us. Again, that's not to say that you're just running around constantly quoting Bible verses. That a relative, I have a relative that does that. They're, they know every verse for everything. You look at their life and you think, man, I'm glad you know all those Bible verses. It'd be nice that they'd get inside of your heart every once in a while. Proverbs 7, verse 4 and 5 goes on and says, Say to wisdom, you are my sister. Call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress. Say to wisdom, you are more than just an acquaintance. More than just a person. I mean, I, I sit there all the time. I'm outside and here drives by a neighbor. Here drives some, by somebody close to them and I wave at them and they roll their window up and pull down a shade. They don't see me. I don't know what it is. We wave at people all the time. Keep them as your sister, as your intimate friend, the one that you are closest to in the world. That's how the commandments are to be seen. That's how God's wisdom is to be seen. One of the things we have to realize as believers is that there is a war going on for our hearts and our souls. There is a war. And I don't use that term like I do when Mary and I are having fun with each other and she does something and she gets the upper hand on me and I say, okay, this is war. And then we remember we're not three-year-olds. Sometimes because we do things and all of a sudden our bodies don't respond like they used to 20 years ago. We give up because we realize we're too old to fight with each other anymore. We're not talking about a game that you play and you put in the box when you're done. I'm talking about the real thing. War with death and destruction. As a result, homes, families, churches, communities being ruined as a result of this fight that we are in. It happens every day in our life, in our mind, in our hearts. 
unfortunately, too many of us have accepted this idea that I've prayed a prayer and I'm good. I've checked the box. I know that I'm going to heaven and, and let's move on to the next thing. And we don't realize that even as believers, we can be destroyed. The works of the enemy in our life. That's why it's important that we guard our hearts. Protect our hearts. I have a neighbor, a lady that actually Mary used to work with who lives in our neighborhood. and She was out one day and she saw her. And lady started telling neighbor, Mary that her husband went to the doctor and the doctor did not give him a good health report. That scared him enough. He didn't want to be on medicine. He didn't want to be stuck in this 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 cycle of bad health, and he began to change his lifestyle, began to exercise, began to watch what he eats and all of this stuff. He, he realizes finally after all these years, and they're older than we are, he realizes this is serious. Don't want something to happen to me. And would that we as Christians understand where we are. This is not a game. It is a war for our souls. The writer of Proverbs says, guard your heart more than anything else. Protect it. Because you know what's going to happen. You're going to face a situation today, this afternoon, tomorrow. They're going to present opportunities for our hearts either to be drawn closer to God or to be drawn farther from Him. You're going to be presented with an opportunity where you can allow your heart to be drawn more to Him and become more like Him or let your heart be hard and calloused and take a step farther away. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're going to choose the easy path. Are you going to say, no, I, I need to fight this fight. I need to be vigilant. That's why Peter says we have to be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because our enemy is walking around seeking whom he might devour. And Peter is not talking to unbelievers. Those unbelievers have already been devoured by the enemy. He's talking to us, church members, people of God. Our unwillingness to think about it, to fail to take it seriously, is leading us down a path that we don't want to be on. And I ask you this question. You combed your hair, took a shower, put on makeup. I tried, but then I realized I'm never going to get any prettier, so it don't matter. Did you, did you do anything with your heart today? Just ask God to renew and cleanse your hearts? Those words that we sung about give us clean hands and give us a pure heart, did you, did you sit there and say, that's nice harmony, nice lyrics, a nice beat. The drum is really sounding great this morning. Or did you say, Lord, it's my heart.
my heart. You see, when our hearts are right, our hearts where they need to be with God. Book of Proverbs make it clear that it makes such a makes such a great difference. Listen to Proverbs fourteen verse thirty: A tranquil heart gives to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. You want to have life. You want to sit there and be consumed by bitterness. It depends on where your heart is. Depends on where your heart is. A good heart, a tranquil heart, gives life to you. Proverbs 15, verse 13, the same thing. A glad heart makes a cheerful face. By sorrow, the heart, the spirit is crushed. We, we've all been around those people. I don't want to be around that person. He's a sourpuss. I don't want to be near them. They're, they're such an unpleasant person to be around. Why do you think that is? Another, another job, whatever. Maybe that's the case, but more often it's because there's something in their heart. Something in their heart isn't there. Proverbs 16, verse 23, the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious. It adds persuasiveness to his lips. The heart of a wise person, you want to hear from them. You want to listen to what they have to say. Something about their words that are so much better. So much better. Someone, speech is full of anger and bitterness and hatred and spite. Proverbs 17, verse 22, a joyful heart is good medicine. It's good medicine. Crushed spear dries up the bones. What is that stuff they used to take? Maybe some of y'all took when you were young, castor oil or whatever. It's supposed to be good for whatever ails you. You want to have good medicine. You want to have health in your life. Probably a joy a lot better. I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on Sunday mornings. There's such a correlation between even our physical health and our, and our heart. And if we have a heart that is good and honest and right before God, it's clean before God. Conscience that is clear. Sometimes they do a lot better than the Benadryl and Tylenol and Pepsid and whatever else. We find ourselves popping on a regular basis. Maybe the issue is not just physical. Maybe it's a matter of our heart. Again, we go to the mirror. We go to the water. We go to the stream. We look inside of it. And there we see our true selves. We look around and we see other people. Oftentimes we see. We see in their actions. We see in their words. The real them. A heart 
a heart that is either close to God or far from Him. What does your heart reflect? What does your life reflect today? And let's pray, shall we? Father, I pray that you would come. I pray that you would look at my heart. Pray that you would see, and I know I've sat there and I've tried to smile, I've tried to put on a happy face today. But God, you know what's inside of my heart. Maybe my sons don't see it. Maybe not even Mary sees it. Maybe no one in this church sees it, but you see it. Lord, I know my heart is prone to wonder. It's prone to walk away from you. Lord, I feel it every moment of the day. The world is calling me, saying, come and worship me and serve me. Lord, I want my heart to reflect your beauty and your goodness. I want my words to reflect life. I want my spirit to reflect someone's hope is in you. Lord, I want my heart to, to show Jesus. Show Jesus to everyone that I come into contact with. People to see me and say there's something different. So, Lord, in the stillness now, I ask you to search every heart. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd begin to speak to everyone here. Lord, there's someone here this morning that does not know you as Savior. I pray. Pray right now that you'd come into their heart, that they would open their heart to you. That they would accept you, that you would regenerate them, that you would make them a new heart even right now. Lord, I pray for that heart that's full of anger and hatred and bitterness. A heart that's full of despair and emptiness and hopelessness. A heart that's full of lust and greed and pride. God, we would remove those things. Fill my heart with your spirit. Fill my heart with your joy. Fill my heart with your peace. Fill my heart with your presence, I pray. Renew my heart. Lord, when I walk away today, I feel that honor. Help me to realize. Help me to realize the importance of guarding my heart above all else. Because what is there will eventually, eventually make its way out. Pray these things in Jesus' name. You know, he's going to sing a song as we close today. As I speak, Jesus. If you're here this morning. If you'd like to have prayer for anything in your life, maybe it's a physical need that you have. Maybe it is your heart. Maybe your heart is not where it needs to be and you just say, I, need, I just need prayer that God would work on my heart. 
If that's you as they sing this song, why don't you come? If you'd like to, I'd love to pray for you. And we'll gather around you, David and I. Anybody else would like to? We'd love to pray for you this morning. Let's pray that God would touch you. If you don't want to, if you don't feel that need, that's fine. We'll sing this song and go home. We meet the Baptist at the buffet this morning. But if God is speaking and you feel like you need prayer, you want to be prayed for, we'd love to do that for you this morning. Listen to these words.